0: In today's episode of Entrepreneurs Get Visible, I am joined by Sean Kyra, and we're having a conversation today about cultural bias and how that implicates visibility. There's all sorts of reasons why you might hold back from being visible if you have that added pressure and expectation because of your culture. So I think this is an interesting topic that we've not discussed at all yet on Entrepreneurs Get Visible, so I hope you enjoy it. Sean is founder of the Asian Female Entrepreneurs Collective, which is growing at a phenomenal speed, not just in the UK, but around the world. So listen up. I hope you enjoy this and make the most of having something entertaining to listen to during lockdown. So today on Entrepreneurs Get Visible, I am joined by Sean Kyra. Now, Sean and I met We met briefly in person, but I think we'd met online first, hadn't we? And it turns out we actually just live a town apart from each other, which is always kind of nice in this online space when you come across someone who knows your local vicinity. Yeah. It's funny you
1: say that because I was just thinking about meeting up and I'm like, uh, that's not going to happen in the current season. No, we always say let's
0: get together for lunch. But right now, as we record this, it is only, what is it, the 25th today of March? 26. So by, 26th of March. So by the time you hear this, it's due to go out in April. So by the time you hear this, we'll have all been on lockdown for a very long time. And we'll either be getting the news that it's continuing or we're going to be let out into the big wide world again very, very soon. So one of the things that we want to talk about today, there's, there's a few things that we're going to discuss. One is really about visibility and cultural conditioning and what that can mean for you. Sean, as I've mentioned in the introduction, is founder of the Asian Female Entrepreneur Collective. And what we want to talk about is some of the additional hurdles to cross in terms of cultural conditioning. And not just, I don't, yeah, cultural conditioning, and that can be anything, can't it? That can be ethnicity, that can be race, that can be all sorts of potential prejudices that other people have that might prevent you from feeling like you can be seen out in the big, wide world. But we also want to talk a little bit about the need to pivot and when to do it, when not to do it. And in the current climate, some of you might need to hear a discussion around that. There's lots of people pivoting their businesses left, right and center. So Sean, just tell us a little bit about your business, how you got started and exactly who it is you serve with the work you do at the moment. Yeah, sure. So thank
1: you so much for having me, Anna. What a privilege. And so thank you. So I started out originally, actually, back in 2014 as an Asian wedding blogger. So my background's online marketing. I worked in corporate. I graduated the year of the recession, the credit crunch, nearly, well, a decade ago now. And I was just feeling or as most of us entrepreneurs always are, you know, when we're working for someone, someone else, you know, the lack of flexibility, the lack of freedom, the lack of like just wanting to do what you want to do. And I was just kind of going from online marketing role and I worked in some really successful online marketing agencies in the Southwest. But back in 2014, I was planning my own big Indian wedding and I just didn't even have, like, it got so busy in my corporate job that I just didn't even have time to work on my, like, Plan my wedding. And I was just so consumed by my corporate job. And I've always loved Asian weddings since I was a little girl, like watching Bollywood movies. And I kind of obviously in the UK, it's like a billion pound market. And I was like, I would love to get into this. So I actually just initially started back in 2014, just blogging, just blogging my wedding planning journey. And then I handed in my notice back in 2014 as well, because I just had enough. And again, it was just like, I didn't even think things through. I just handed in my notice. I was living with my parents at the time, so it was fine sort of financially. And yeah, I just, I launched my Asian wedding blog. That grew massively. It was ranking on page one of Google for Asian wedding blog. I was getting thousands of readers per month. It was literally insane. And then the year after, four months after getting married, I launched my Asian wedding planning company, which was a luxury Asian wedding planning company. And again, within first 18 months, we were planning destination weddings in like Italy, Switzerland, big high-end UK weddings with budgets of over hundred K. And then actually it's so interesting because I actually, that was back in 2015 and I was having so much success in my Asian wedding planning business. Our work was being featured in, you know, global wedding magazines and blogs, you know, from the outside in, I was killing it. And then in 2017, I set up just a free Facebook group called the Asian Female Entrepreneur Collective just literally just to network with suppliers. I mean, it didn't have this big mission or purpose. I was just like, you know, I'll just set up a free Facebook group. It would be good for me to network online. And that then transitioned into kind of like small London workshops. Lots of people were coming to me for mentoring advice because they were how did you build this luxury Asian wedding planning brand so quickly? And then it just went into masterminds and all sorts of things, really, a membership. And then last year, I was living in Canada because my husband was working there. So I was traveling a lot in 2018. I was loving actually just traveling. We were living in Canada and I made decision last year, last January in 2019, even though I was signing off five-figure wedding planning clients, that I just didn't want to do it anymore. I just wasn't aligned to it it just didn't feel right. So again, I pivoted and went all in on my AFEC brand. And yeah, here we are. Like AFEC is such a beautiful and successful brand now. And it just really shows you the power of listening to your gut and just going all in on something, even if your identity is wrapped up in something else Mm -hmm. and just... Basically going with your intuition.
0: See, that can be challenging, can't it? If you're known for doing one thing and you decide to leave it behind. Yes. Because it isn't right for you. Now, I've experienced this as well. I'd worked really hard to build myself in a particular area, in a particular industry. And yeah, I didn't want that anymore. How did you know it was the right time to leave it behind?
1: So it all started around two years ago. We'd just done this amazing, incredible Italy wedding. And it was, oh, it was, it was stunning. And I came back and I was in Canada that summer. And I was just, you know, when you just don't have the motivation and you're like, is this like, I just couldn't even think about weddings. I didn't really have any drive to get any new clients. The content was just not aligning with me. And I kind of put it down to, I'm just a bit burnt out from these destination weddings. I'm burnt out from wedding season. And actually my mentor at the time was saying to me, you're not aligned to weddings. The way you talk about weddings is completely different to what you talk, how you talk about the AFEC brand. And I kind of just sat with it, actually, for a good six months. I didn't do anything. I was just like, okay, so let's just sit with this. Let's see how this feels. And I think the real telltale signs were like, I didn't really want to show up on Instagram on my wedding planning brand. I didn't want to do my marketing. It was kind of started out like that, I'd say. But then I would just if I, you know, thought about what does my dream day look like and what kind of work I would be doing, it was all related to my AFEC brand, nothing to do with the weddings. And then it actually got to last January. It wasn't a bad experience with the client, but it was just a really demanding experience for the client. Because obviously as you sign bit higher end clients, whether whatever industry it is, but especially in wedding, the wedding industry, it just got to this one day where I just had enough. And I remember I was in Canada and it was like, I couldn't call my mom because obviously the time difference and I was just feeling so isolated. And I just remember having this day of just crying nonstop. It was like I was mourning my business. And then I just made that decision. And I was like, I'm not going to take on any more weddings. Although I was getting inquiries every single day. I was like, I'm not going to take on any more weddings. You know, this doesn't have to be this big thing where I make this big announcement. I'm not doing any weddings. Mm. I can just sit with this decline them in my inbox, no one needs to know about it. And then check in with myself in the next few months. And that's how I did it.
0: That's one of the ways that I stopped doing a lot of my voice acting work. I didn't make a big announcement. I just knew that I couldn't keep having my diary rammed actually making me feel stressed and unhappy. Whereas obviously I had loved it. I loved what I did. I almost felt that I'd done too much of it. I'd been too successful and was experiencing the knock-on effects of having that popularity within that industry. But again, I didn't feel ready to make a big song and dance about it because I didn't know if I would want to go back or have to go back. Because you don't know when you're branching out into new fields. But it did definitely feel so good to me to just say, no more, my diary is now full. You can't book me. There's no space. And yes, there was space, but that space was for me to heal, to grieve, to see what other potential opportunities were out there and work out exactly the ideas that I had, how I could expand and grow them. So talk a little bit about the work that you are doing then with AFEC, with the Asian Female Collective Association. That's not how you say it. It's Asian Female Entrepreneur Collective. It's not an association. What is the work that you're doing in there?
1: Yeah. So originally it started out three years ago. It's just some really small London workshops, 15 to 20 people. I did those for about, about a year, actually. But what I did actually do was I was very, very visible in my group. So I started the group in 2017 and for the first year I was just delivering workshops, just in London, marketing mindset workshops. And they were just getting really incredible reviews and there was just obviously a need for it, an obvious need for, because as women of color and Asian women, we have our own challenges, we have our own cultural barriers. And then two years ago, I launched my mastermind, which again, I was just completely blown away by the results the women got. And so proud that from that mastermind we've got, especially in the Asian wedding market, we've got leaders, you know, experts. And then it just kind of, yeah, it just, it just became the mentoring, the masterminds, my membership. So right now where it is, is We're basically, the mission of AFEC is to empower Asian female entrepreneurs globally by giving them the mindset and the marketing tools to really step into who they want to be without that cultural BS. And we do that really through obviously our free content, but obviously our programs as well. And in November last year, we had a big London event and we had 50 Asian female entrepreneurs, which was amazing. London hadn't seen anything like This and this year, fingers crossed when COVID-19 is over, we're gonna have an event of a hundred plus Asian female entrepreneurs where we all come together and we talk about the challenges. We talk about because we've got such specific challenges, like the whole thing about being the sole kind of carer for our families, being the good daughter-in-law, being the good wife, being the good mother, but on a different level, because so much is expected of us. So yeah, that's where it is right now. And it's exciting.
0: So talk us through then what you see as the unique challenges for Asian females in the entrepreneurial space.
1: So I think first of all, I think for us, we have a lot of visibility blocks and that is really closely linked to, I think, shame. So especially for someone like me, who was growing up in the 80s and 90s, For example, I wasn't allowed to like cut my hair. Like, my parents didn't want me to cut my hair before I got married. They didn't want me to wear makeup. Like, they wanted me to marry someone who was the same religion and the same caste, which was just insane. And it was very much like if I ever did anything when I was younger, like my parents would just be like, oh, well, what what will your auntie and uncle say? What will the community say? What will people say? And that is such a big part of the Indian and Asian culture. It's all around what what other people think. It's just conditioned. I don't know why it is like that, but it is just like that. So when it comes to business and us setting up our own businesses, getting visible, we've just got this whole different layer of what will family and friends think? What will my husband's family think? What will my in-laws think? And then that really plays into our visibility blocks on a completely different level. Like it paralyzes us. I remember like when I started blogging, I was fine. But then when it got to really promoting my wedding planning brand, I would literally not post things on Facebook or Instagram because I was so scared what my cousins would think and what they would think of me for having a business and posting content and thinking, oh, she's so desperate. Like all of these things came into play. And it's such a big issue in our community. Like people are just so scared of going live, so scared of what other people will think. It's How just do you insane. combat that? I think it's really about connecting in with your, and it sounds so cheesy, but it's so true, like your why and your mission and really knowing the fact that for me, I could really see a difference in my business when I get visible and the income. There's a direct correlation, as you probably know.
0: Having got a podcast called Entrepreneurs Get Visible <laughs> and written a book called Get Visible, I do know there is a correlation between it and the amount of people who kind of can't get that in their head. yeah.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: I'm not not getting any bookings. Well, have you actually let anybody know at all about your business this year? Yeah.
1: What I did see, Anna, when when I was, again, like when I started with definitely through my wedding planning brand, soon as I got more visible, and that wasn't like having this crazy visibility strategy. It was literally Facebook, Instagram, email marketing, but being really consistent. Mm. I just saw my income just going up and up and up. And then what I saw was... The opportunities. I was on BBC Breakfast Show. I was on the world's best wedding magazines and blogs. And then I think you gain momentum. And then when you start seeing, oh, like all these great things are happening, then people are like, oh, like your business is doing really well. It's obviously a shift. So I think, first of all, just being like for me, going back to corporate, I would rather just, I would do anything else and say to people I had to go back to my corporate job because my business didn't make it and you kind of have to be obsessed with your mission and your why
0: so that concept of being concerned about what auntie and uncle might say Mm. I don't necessarily mean on a personal level do you think once you've got through the barriers of having a certain level of income that becomes easier to deal with
1: absolutely absolutely I mean I just think that When I started earning more income in my business, you just kind of know in your head, and I I know you probably, you know this, Anna, but without sounding like in a kind of like a money grabbing kind of way, but when you, you know, it's not just about like having loads of money, but when I could then see, do things like help my mum out, you know, she's been in this country, she came over from India in her 70s. She's like low skilled labor worker all her life. And, you know, she's 60 plus now. For me to be able to say to her this week, you know what, mum, like, I don't want you to go to work. I'll pay for you for the next few weeks. I'll help you out financially. I don't want you to worry. That's what matters. And it's not about having like a million pounds in the bank. When you are able to do things financially for your family members and contribute to, you know, I've got a VA. I know that me paying her contributes to her feeding her family. And I've got another VA that we've recently taken on as well, like a community manager, it becomes a lot more bigger than just earning loads of money and going on first class flights. Nothing wrong with that. But when you start earning more money, you see the impact it has on your communities, what you're doing for other people, the charitable work you can do behind the scenes. It, you just don't really, you stop caring what other people think.
0: So that stage then where you knew you wanted to shift away and your identity had been subsumed in wedding planning... What challenges did that present for you in terms of letting your family connections know and your wider Asian community know that you were changing?
1: So what I tried to do last year was I just didn't want to make this big song and dance about it. I didn't want this big announcement to go onto my Instagram and be like, we're not doing any weddings. And what I did was, and I think some you do have a choice in this, which a lot of people forget, I just very subtly throughout the year, just dropping onto my wedding account, saying that we're busy with other projects. We're busy with our other brands. We're fully booked with like events. And that's how I did it really. And I think that when you go all in on something that you absolutely love, you're passionate about, you care about your clients, you care about your customer experience, you care about your client results. And you know, my family members could see that I was doing some really big things. Like I was organizing these sold out events. I was on the news. I was on podcasts. They could see that. So I think then it's like you let your the hard work do the talking. Does that make sense?
0: Do you think then that doing those things, being that visible, being on TV, do you think there was a negative judgment from people in your community around that?
1: You know what? I think that I've been really lucky. And I do believe it's the culture that I cultivate in my communities. No bitchiness, you know, all of that stuff. Like we don't shame others. I haven't had that. If if anything, my Asian female entrepreneur community has cheered me on more than my own family and friends at times because they know, they know the struggles. They've been on the journey with me. And then that just spurs you on even more. Mm. So I think from a core level, you've got to cultivate that cheerleading community first. And you've got to cheerlead other people on. If I see, for example, even paying and non-paying clients, if I see people from my community, my, my free group on Facebook and Instagram doing lives, I'll always comment if I can. Obviously, it's impossible to do it for everyone. But when you cultivate that community and that culture, that will then come back to you in a good
0: way. So what advice then would you give to someone who's, whether they are from an Asian community or they are struggling culturally with some expectations and weight of expectation that they have on them? What what advice would you give to them?
1: I think first of all, you've got to be so clear on why you're doing this and what your mission is, especially I think if you've got a clear mission. And for example, for us, the mission is to empower Asian females globally we want to build a global brand that is our mission we want to reach more people and I think that when you can connect that in with a bigger why of why you were doing this so my big why was to financially support you know not all the time but my mum and dad when they needed it you know my brother's got learning difficulties I'm they can't speak that much English and for me it was always like I want to be able to support them. Like last year I took my mum to New York and we stayed in like the Taj Hotel. We lived like queens. My mum had never been anywhere other than India and the UK. And I think it's getting really connected to those pieces of your why and your mission and just doing things like visualizations, having vision board, meditating on it. And just being really clear on why you're doing this rather than I just want to have more money. Because that's, you know, we all want that. Let's be honest, right? But just being super specific on why you want that money, what you're going to do with it. What kind of life do you want? What kind of lifestyle do you want? What kind of money conversations do you want with your children? Do you want to be able to pay for your kids' education further down the line with ease? You know, do you want to have an X amount of savings? Like what do you, just getting so granular and just keeping reversing engineering that and then feeding that into your, okay, so I did a live, Anna, like a few weeks ago in a group of 60,000 Asian, they were men and women, right? And I cannot, like, I've done some scary things in my life, but I was so scared, like, I could be sick, like, because there were some judgy, judgy people in there. And I got one bad comment. And it was something like, as I was on doing my training, it was something like, well, how can you be teaching all this stuff when you've only got 2,000 followers on Instagram or something, I really wanted to say, like, actually, I've got a really successful business that generates income month in, month out. Obviously, I didn't say that. But what in that moment of, oh, my God, I don't want to do this. Should I just cancel it? I just connected in with
0: my why. So what made that particular scenario so scary for you?
1: I think when you've got your own community. So I've got a big Facebook group. I've got four and a half thousand members in my free Facebook group at some level, we can control our communities, right? So if someone's being a douchebag, we can ban and block them or remove comments and delete comments. And I think for us as entrepreneurs specifically, we like to be in control. And that's why we're entrepreneurs actually really sometimes because we want our own freedom. We want to be in control of our environment, our income, our life. And I think what was really scary was I didn't, and men were in there and judgment, you know, it's not all entrepreneurs. It was people that are professionals. But I just thought if you want to play bigger, if you want to go bigger, you've got to, criticism and negative feedback is part of the game. And if you want to step into bigger versions of yourself, you've got to be ready to, got to be ready sometimes to hear a negative comment. And you know what? People from my community, my masterminders, jumped on it, and they were like, "She is the real deal. Like she's amazing. We're part of a paid community. She gives so much value." And then the owner, in the end, deleted it anyway, of the Facebook owner. So it, it was fine. It was
0: fine. There's so something that struck me in what you're saying there that it wasn't necessarily the large audience that was the problem. It, it was about being in in an environment with men who don't. Mm. So from a cultural perspective what is that what does that mean for you
1: so i think that our culture is very sexist like in our culture up until recent times you'd get frowned upon if you had a girl celebrations were only done if boys were born so knowing and obviously my i'm come from a family where when I was little, I was the, well, I'm the only girl in my family and all my cousins are, are guys basically. And I remember being in scenarios when I was little, like, you know, my guy cousins being a little bit mean to me and my mum and my granddad and my dad just not saying anything to them because they were boys and they were boys. So you are the girls. So you're potentially less than them. So I've always had that kind of, not power struggle, but I've known in our culture that men are sometimes listened to more than women. So I think that really played into it for me. So
0: Sean, as you go on and expand further, this amazing collective that you've put together and you become more visible, which you will, what does it mean for you that you're going to be able to present yourself and what you do and what other women do? To those men in your communities,
1: I think in my community, obviously it's females only. But when I do present my business, like and sometimes a father-in-law finds out about it, or you know, my, I mean, my brother and my dad are really supportive, or um, my husband's family, members of his community that are male, like family members, it just makes me so proud. So. I think that is that what you mean like yeah it's just this overarching feeling of being really proud and being comfortable in your own skin and just being like owning it and progression that, yeah that culturally things yeah of course that like women we are a force to be reckoned with Asian <laughs> or not Asian right but especially in our culture like Women are seen as, oh, you know, the women just stay at home and do this and do that. I mean, that's a very traditional view and it's obviously changed a lot since then. But we are a force to be reckoned with, for sure. And we need strong women.
0: Absolutely. And before we wrap up today, I just want to ask you, right now, lots of people are feeling the need to potentially pivot in their business. And Mm. you've done this recently. Mm. What would be your three pieces of advice about pivoting? Or whether knowing if now is the right time to pivot, what would you say to people?
1: I think it sounds really cheesy, but listen to your gut. Your gut is never wrong. Like your intuition will know. If you keep getting a message through, oh, maybe I should do this offering, maybe I should create this service, like people are asking for it, do it. Because normally, I remember like three years ago, my husband was like, two years ago, my husband was like, don't do the mastermind. Like you've got, you've got weddings coming up, like just don't do it. But there was just something in me that I kept coming back to that. And I'm so glad I did because that's like a, such a big part of our business. So I think at, first of all, obviously listen to your gut. Second of all, ask your audience, seriously, like just put together. I know it sounds really daunting, like, oh, this market research, but it can literally just be a survey monkey. And if, especially if you've got groups or an email list and obviously incentivize them, we do that a lot. You know, we incentivize people to give feedback. We just normally give them a voucher or something for free, but ask them what they're struggling with. What do they need right now? Like what would make their life easier? What's keeping them up at night? So I'd say that's the second thing. And the third thing is seriously, if this pandemic does not it, this is the best time. It's like now or never. For a lot of people, we were having this conversation and like for us, we're going to see different people go through financial hardships. It's going to happen. It's a byproduct of this pandemic, unfortunately. And I'm really grateful for what the government are doing. But if in this moment you can help and serve people in a compassionate way, And really help them with what they're struggling with, whether that's marketing, whether that's visibility, whether that's just keeping their mindset positive, do it. There's this whole thing of right now, oh, you shouldn't be selling in this time. No, people want to spend money, actually, from what I've seen in my communities. And people are literally, I remember last Friday when this whole thing was coming to a surface, like we might be in lockdown. I I was on annual leave, actually, last week. I was literally just drinking wine a lot last week and watching the news. Not a good combination. But I remember on Friday, I was looking for inspiration. I was looking at the global leaders. Like, I just wanted some hope. I, I logged on to Brendan Bouchard's I listen to his podcast, but I I listened to his podcast and I just wanted some hope, you know, not some crazy strategy on what to do, just some inspiration and hope. And that's what I'm seeing. A lot of people just want that right now. And that's
0: okay, you know. So, and I think actually, I did a podcast interview just yesterday with just, Johnny. Just Cooper. go for it in this. Yeah. And I think we were talking about actually just show up as a human being. just show yeah. up and, and support people in the way that you can people want motivation they want inspiration and so if you have any form of leadership anywhere then do that be that person if you feel ready and equally if you don't feel ready give yourself a break because you will feel better at some point you will come through this and that's all okay too
1: yeah absolutely and I think in this season it's a real tricky one for all of us obviously mental health comes first that's super important don't force yourself because especially when you're becoming a leader and you're stepping up you're holding a lot of space for people and that can be challenging if you're going through some stuff behind the scenes yourself so obviously mental health comes first but if you feel ready and even if you don't but mentally you feel good go for it yeah
0: lovely great advice Sean. well thank you so much for coming on entrepreneurs get visible today it was great to have you here
1: thanks so much Anna for having me